0: And I'm very excited to be here, and also I don't know who any of these people are. Okay, well, if
1: you're ever here and you need somebody to eat with, I'd be happy to eat I do with you.
0: Need okay. somebody to eat with? I'd be glad.
1: Uh, glad to. Uh,
0: we are going to talk about culture wars and the culture warriors that wore them, yes. and how they have real world, uh, real world
1: implications and consequences. You know what? If you have to work in an office and you have to write somewhere, you might as well do it from the Freedom Tower with views of the water, views of New Jersey,
0: of this, can I just you know. Get a coffee? yeah, Oh, yeah, yeah. can out. I just get one of these? Oh, you want one of those coffees? I want one of those fancy coffees. I'm Molly Johnfast, special correspondent for Vanity Fair, and I'm in the studio today with Chris Murphy. Say hi, Chris. You must say hi. Say hi right now. Go.
1: I will say hi. Hello. Hi. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm a staff writer at Vanity Fair, and I cover entertainment and popular culture for the Hollywood section.
0: This is the third in a series of bonus episodes from Vanity Fair writers from in and outside the Hive. In addition to the regularly scheduled programming from co-hosts Joe Hagan and Emily Jane Fox, Chris Murphy and I had never met. We are now in a room in the Vanity Fair offices and we are best friends. <laughs> We're in that special period between two enormous cultural moments. Mm. The Super Bowl? Yeah. And the Oscars. Totally. We need a name for this period. Yeah,
1: Go. I feel like it's America's cultural Kinsey scale, you know? <laughs> you're either towards the Oscar side or you're towards the Super Bowl side. Everywhere somewhere in between. It's a spectrum. It's right. A spectrum in terms of what you cherish the most. What are you what are, where do you fall on that I, spectrum? I mean,
0: I can't I don't even I I now I I know what sport they do during the Super Bowl. <laughs> Dianu, as my people say, like I know what sport it is, and so, yeah. that is good. Okay, I didn't so you, always know. What okay, sport it so I'm gonna was.
1: you're sort of more on the Oscar side of the
0: I, I'm on the Oscar side scale. Yes,
1: same I as you know, I, I cover the Oscars, you know, so I a hundred percent I'm there, but everybody has a framework right. for both of these and major cultural events
0: exactly. And I would say one thing about the Super Bowl is that the Super Bowl is like sixty percent Super Bowl. 20% halftime mm. show and 20% advertisement. And
1: that actually adds up to 100%, so that was actually very good math.
0: <laughs> well, I I, I figured it out before I started talking because I was worried. Yeah. I have, at times, not added up to 100. <laughs> um, but I want to talk to you about this because uh, the Rihanna halftime show was really an interesting cultural phenomenon. The National Football League welcomes you to the... Music Super Bowl 57 Halftime Show. Before it started, we saw right-wing commentators. They're really into satanic, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so much satanic panic these days. <laughs> really, even before she even stepped foot right. on to the field, they, you know, they said it was of the devil. Right.
0: Okay. She's dressed in red and she falls from the sky, surrounded by people dressed in white, like angels. Do we know the story from the Bible? When
1: Satan fell from heaven and he brought down those fallen angels with him, it's exactly what played out on our screens.
0: And meanwhile, it turned out to be all panic and no satanic. Right.
1: Yeah. I would I would say it was definitely light on, uh, you know, the Satanism, if right. you will, other than the fact that she was wearing red, which I'd, they're so afraid of the color <laughs> red these days.
0: <laughs> I mean, you'd think I mean, <laughs> I think they're really afraid of the color black. though. Yeah.
1: That, oh, yeah and I think that actually that I think it's the main problem with uh, a lot of the coverage of the Super Bowl from Rihanna's. Halftime performance to Shirley Ralph's right. song, you know, singing the Black National Anthem, really lovely and wonderfully, um, at the beginning of the the game. I want to talk about
0: Colin Kaepernick I, for I think, a minute. I think
1: we have to. I think
0: we do. And um, I, first of all, I think that I I feel a lot of. Um,
1: Mm, I actually don't know what that means. (laughs) I don't either.
0: It's like a Jewish word for how much you like someone. Oh, okay. I feel a lot of nachas for Colin Kaepernick. Everybody's laughing at me. I think (laughs) nachas is a real word. I don't even care. It's my word now. I I trust you. Uh, For Colin Kaepernick. And I want to talk about Rihanna, who refused to perform two years ago because of the treatment of Colin Kaepernick. Yeah,
1: so actually, it was actually, not to correct you, but I think it was actually four years ago. It was was 2019, just because, pretty specifically, and I do think this matters, um, because uh, uh, Rihanna said no to turn down the Super Bowl in 2019. She said she wouldn't perform because of the NFL's treatment of Colin Kaepernick. Right, which
0: was beyond the pale Beyond the Pale,
1: ran yeah. him out of the sport yeah. um, for, you know, beginning the kneeling protest um, and so much more. But a really important thing sort of shifted, at least in terms of the halftime show since then, in that Jay-Z and Rock Nation teamed up with the NFL to start programming the halftime show in 2020. And Jay-Z is who discovered Rihanna when she was just a teenager, you know. Before in, she was a billionaire. Before she was a billionaire, when she was just a teenager, um, you know, in the Caribbean um, and discovered her. And, you know, they've had a working relationship for almost 20 years now. So I think Jay-Z getting on board and teaming up with the NFL sort of to democratize and diversify. But I could definitely see Rihanna, you know, changing her mind or being more open to the idea of performing at the Super Bowl because of Jay-Z's involvement.
0: No, no question. But I want to talk about Rihanna because... She was not Madonna up there. She was wearing Mm -hmm. fully—and again, I'm not making a judgment about her sexuality. I'm just making—I want to point this out so that we can talk about some of the criticism she received. Yes, no, we should. Uh, She's wearing, like, long sleeves. shes wearing a coat— (laughs)
1: <laughs> Could not, there's not been a more sort of uh, covered up right. and more chaste. Um, she looked chased. like the Pope. She looked like the Pope. You know, yeah. she, like, a more chaste. Pope. <laughs> yeah, yes. right, I mean, a gorgeous Pope, but yeah. a more chaste outfit that right. a Super Bowl performer has sort of ever done. And I do think for those, you know, like me who have been a fan of Rihanna since, you know, for the past 20 years, you know, like, a huge, huge fan, the thing that makes Rihanna an interesting pop star and the thing that makes her, like, so compelling is that she doesn't have to do all the tricks and the whistles and the bells and, the, you know, the flips and... All these things that these other girls right. have to do to get your attention and to, right. to and to own a stage. Right, she is enough. Her, you know, her music. Her is music nice. is enough. The songs are enough. That she's not going to do. She never was one to do like a million costume changes or these like incredibly complicated dances right. or anything. And she brought that same sort of energy of like I'm enough. My music is enough. My vibe is enough. It was incredibly Rihanna and it was incredibly well executed and it was so specific and it actually sort of like it it. it was subversive
0: yeah, for her to do uh, do yeah, nothing. Like, yeah, go girl, give us nothing. Yeah.
1: It's really amazing.
0: So conservatives were obsessed with this halftime show. Mm-hmm. They decided it was going to be satanic. She got up there. Nobody knew she was pregnant or a lot of people didn't no, know she was no, pregnant. No, it was definitely
1: not. It was right. not announced. We did not know right. in the industry that she was Everyone pregnant. Everyone was
0: like, she looks a little bit, oh, I don't want to say it. Oh, wait. She's like, I don't know, six, seven months pregnant. Mm-hmm. In my mind, celebrities have this very tight rope to walk, Yeah political and being true to themselves, but also not being, uh, you know, not killing their careers right? because they, you know, and she has been really vocal about certain things like she is pro-choice, you know, like most Americans. So all of these anti-choice people were like, look, Rihanna shows you can have it all.
1: It was so crazy how they sort of like bastardized her narrative and just sort of honestly projected their own politics onto the performance um, of, you know, this, uh, you know, anti-choice pro-life movement just because she's a woman who is performing while pregnant. I mean, she's, you know, one of many women who have done this before. And two, she's
0: been outspokenly pro-choice her entire career. Um, But, you know, they're politicizing something that is not political. that That
1: is not political. And And it sort of backfired in their face. And it's not the only way this happened at the Super Bowl. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene's tweet about Chris Stapleton's— Because he
0: was the white guy.
1: Because he was white and has a beard and sings country music. She assumed that, you know, that he is anti-woke, right, and said— I think her tweet was Chris Stapleton gave the best national anthem ever. I could have done without all that other woke stuff. Right. And guess what? Chris Stapleton supports Black Lives Matter and has been does. vocally vocally supportive of Black Lives Matter. So that blew up in her right, face. Right. So it, it's so <laughs> funny to me um, that the right wing is any sort of cultural moment that they can sort of like right. you know, sneak into and like get right. into the, the well, publicize
0: themselves with yes. it because it's. I think it's like the worst kind of clout chasing.
1: And it's interesting too because. Most people like football, you know, right. CT and all that aside. Yeah. Obviously, that's a whole other conversation. But, like, it's America's game. Right. You have a halftime show for the right. girls and the gays. You right. got the football for <laughs> the dudes and the bros. And it's yeah. sort of like the maybe the most unifying thing that we have as a country. Right. And yet, you know, the right insisted upon trying to find any way in which to— Push their agenda, and they're always yelling at us about our agenda. It's like, actually, you're the ones who are doing the agenda pushing. Right.
0: Inside the Hive, we'll be back in just a moment.
1: I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? Is it bursting with energy or drained? How do you recharge it? Have you ever reflected on those questions? Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Hive today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com, Hive.
0: The Super Bowl was last week. We are now into the pre-Oscar run-up Vanity Fair released today. It's Hollywood issue. Yeah,
1: yeah, that did come up. We're, we're right. gearing into, you know, the big ceremony and the big, you know, Hollywood's biggest night, if you will.
0: Last year's Academy Awards featured a viral moment that yeah. was not good for anyone, any of us ever yeah. at all.
1: Across the board, right. it was ultimately a bad thing. <laughs> yes. I do think that is true. Yeah. Um, you must be talking about... The slap the from now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, the slap. I. It's interesting because we we're talking about, um, you know, how the right takes these cultural moments and sort of, you know, bastardizes and sort of shapes them, to, them. you yeah. know, yeah, and co-ops them for whatever narrative they want to push. I think that the Oscars are not the hood. I think it's not a bar. The fact that the L.A. sheriff didn't haul this guy out of there at the next commercial break explains why there's such a huge crime problem in this country. They've set the bar pretty high. Mm. There's going to have to be a murder on stage next year uh, to keep
0: those numbers up. <laughs> You've got new gonna be, show. You're going to be honest, we're all going to be watching it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would watch that. Needless to say, watching, you know, Will Smith smack Chris Rock, two of the most famous black, black men in America, America. Um, engage in, you know, a brief act of physical violence. By One will, side. One side. Yeah. Will smacking him. But obviously, hitting someone is never a good idea. It's, a, it's bad. It's right. assault. It's, right. it's terrible. And um, it felt like in the aftermath of the Oscars and then also leading up to this year's ceremony in terms of the way people uh, sort of take moments and then project them, you yes. know, it felt like the right sort of felt like, oh, we got you. This is what we've right. always been saying about right. black, black men, men and violence yeah. and, and, you know, and uh, policing and all of this stuff. Yeah. And... Boom, it's on camera, yeah. you've been caught, which was yeah. so unfair and such a—
0: It's just uh, disgusting racism, I mean. Disgusting
1: racism, a bastardization yeah. of what happened and taking everything out of context. And honestly, the left didn't help. I mean, there were some tweets, not to call out Judd the director, he, you know, went on a tweet rampage afterwards, he said— Will Smith could have killed him. It's like right. I'm sorry, no one's ever died from a slap. him. I don't think Will Smith could have killed him, and no. that's only gonna <laughs> it's not right. Just, galvanize the wing no, and, no, right wing and and be right, like right, and right. and have them justify their warped take that, right. that is divorced from reality. Right. When there's actually really interesting conversations and work that needs to be done in terms of how we you know right. we respond to triggers and process right. you know and, I,
0: and so. Chris Rock was interviewed recently mm-hmm. and said that he's not even going to California. He's not even going in the state. Well, it's interesting. It's
1: so funny because they did offer him
0: the hosting, the hosting gig, yeah. which
1: obviously does make sense. Um, and he turned it down, which is also fair.
0: Yeah. So we have these Oscars coming up, and we know that the right is really ready to jump on this and to try. And remember, I mean, I think, like, We have to remember that, like, there are three opinion shows on Fox every night. They get millions and millions of viewers, Mm -hmm. more than most linear television – And a good deal of those shows are devoted to culture war issues. Yeah. Remember, like, Tucker Carlson, who, by the way, is probably the brain of the Republican Party.
1: That's the scariest (laughs) sentence I've heard all day. (laughs) All year, even.
0: But, you know, it's devoted time to woke Mm M&Ms. And, I mean, this is what they feel their audience needs and wants.
1: But it does make a lot of sense because this is what gets clicks, right? This This is what gets Twitter clicks and Instagram clicks, you know, saying that Rihanna is a Satanist, saying that Kim Petrus and Sam Smith, you know, right. the week prior, you know, for their performance of an Unholy at the Grammys, that's satanic panic. Um, and always, 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 always um, picking on marginalized communities, whether right. it's women or women right. of color or the LGBTQ community right. or trans, or trans yeah. the trans community.
0: And I also think that, like, there really are these culture war tropes do really fan out into the culture.
1: Yeah. I'll say a credit to the Academy sort of moving away and tying it into the right-wing panic. Since Oscar So White in 2015, when every acting nominee was a white person, uh, the Academy has really made a lot of efforts within its membership to diversify, and we are, I think, seeing some of the results of that, you know, expansion in the nominees. We've got everything everywhere all, all at once. I mean, Primarily Asian American cast, Michelle Yeoh is the first ever Asian American self identifying woman to be nominated for Best Actress Oscar because. In I
0: want to talk, I want to, let's talk about this because conservatives immediately jumped on this and they were so mad. They, get they were so
1: mad, but they don't read the fine print right, and they don't do the right, research. Right, right, right. In that, in the 1930s, there was an actress, um, uh, I think her name is Merle. Um, yeah. Um, Merle Oberon. Right. um, Who was Asian. She was half British. She was British Indian. uh, Right. But she hid her Indian descent so that she could make it in Hollywood. And she was nominated for Best Actress at the Oscars. Right. So there's a reason why, you know, we have these nuanced ways to explain things. Right. It's It's not.
0: Right. Because they were like, These people want to be called what they are. I self-identify as, you know, whatever. And and it's actually not that. It's It's actually actually, not that.
1: It's actually to be accurate and to pay respect to things that actually happened Happened. in the past and not forget about the history that sort of came before.
0: So we're going to talk about the life cycle of a satanic panic moment, right? Yeah. And so I think we should talk about satanic M&Ms.
1: That's exactly where my head was going, (laughs) too. Uh,
0: Tucker Carlson found out that uh, M&Ms were going to desexualize or or just sort of
1: Really, it started because one, I'm, I'm, I think it was the green M&M. She used to wear these cute little boots. Right. And then she, they put her in sneakers. Right. And that, to Tucker Carlson, I guess, signaled the death of, you know. American culture. American culture. Yeah.
0: M&Ms will not be satisfied until every last cartoon character is deeply unappealing and totally androgynous. Until the moment you wouldn't want to have a drink with any one of them. That's the goal. When you're totally turned off, we've achieved equity. They've won. Because remember, Tucker Carlson is always looking for culture of wars, mm-hmm. you know, from those gas stoves. Remember the gas stoves? Oh, wait. who could forget I have a gas stove? Right. <laughs> I have a gas stove, too. F- pretty I good. Mean, I, I feel pretty fine. Th- I mean, they're definitely better for cooking, <laughs> but I don't really cook, so I'm not <laughs> <was> saying that. <laughs> but— um, but yeah, so there was gas stoves. I mean, one of the great examples, too, was um, you'll remember Mayor P- Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who was transportation secretary, mm-hmm. had said that there were these uh, racist highways, and he was talking about the incredibly racist legacy of Robert <clears throat> Moses. Yes, yes. Right, where he...
1: Well-documented. Right. Destroyed the Bronx. Right.
0: He built huge highways yes. so that people didn't have to stop mm-hmm. in the black neighborhoods. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And he did that by destroying them.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah,
0: I mean, you. there are many things to disagree with Mayor Pete about, but this one... Is pretty documented. Yeah. And so uh, when Tucker
1: Carlson takes these, you know, the m the racist highways, he puts them—he talks about them on his show, right?
0: But without context, largely. Yes.
1: Yeah, so he takes them out of context. Right. He says—he puts his opinion, you know, right. tells his base, this is what's—this is what's true about, you know, the decentralization of the m M&M.
0: or, or the history of Robert Moses. We don't hear the history of Robert Moses. No, we now. don't.
1: We just hear his sort of, you know, sounds. Racist bite.
0: highways!
1: I don't know anybody who watches— <laughs> Tucker Carlson, or who watches, or, you know, and I also, especially in, I guess, with millennials and Gen Z, it's like, not, we're not the MSNBC, just have right. the, the news. they don't
0: watch linear. Not watch linear. So, right. so then these right. clips that get even
1: more right. um, condensed and they filter onto Twitter, Twitter and TikTok. Right. And that's how we consume an Instagram. our an Instagram. And yeah. Instagram. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, and then we have also YouTube streamers who run with us. And we ultimately have an entire news cycle, a satanic panic. About uh, whether or not the m M&M m girl, the girl m M&M, m uh, should wear sneakers or boots.
1: And then it turns out the whole entire thing was a Super Bowl ad. Right. right. And <laughs> so it turns out the whole entire thing was just a marketing ploy. Sponsored
0: content. Sponsored
1: content. And it was all for naught. And yet it, it ends up sort of stoking the flames, especially for the people who are, are, you know, Tucker Carlson and these right-wing pundits are speaking to. Who, right. Who— want the good old-fashioned American Eminem and love their racist highway and are hearing their, you know innermost thoughts being preached back to them without any of the context. And that's such a thing that we've been talking about this right. whole episode is the context matters in terms of, you know, right. Uh, all this all these news clips and these inform this information that gets like, you know, just like siphoned down to like, you know, one, you know, 30 second TikTok. But I do think if there is sort of like a through line or like something that connects all of these disparate ideas and all of the culture wars, is that the right uh, sort of benefits and and often tries to erase context and sort of erase history because that serves their narrative. And it's really important to have context and to, and yeah. to have the history yeah. and to make sure that we're telling the full story, even if it's, yeah. you know, parts that we don't necessarily want to.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's important. We're in a run-up to an election now yeah. because— all of American life is either a run up to an election <laughs> or right or a fighting about the election yes. that just happened. So we had these midterms in November. Now we're in whatever month. This is February. Yeah. We're in February. And <laughs> the, the fascinating thing about these midterms is we saw that culture wars did American people don't like it. Yeah. No, 100 <laughs> percent. They don't like it. They don't want it. And so Republicans are going to keep doing it.
1: They will. And and it's really interesting. I think a name that has been bandied about a lot, and you can please correct me, I'm not a political correspondent, but it feels like Ron DeSantis has gained a lot of steam yeah. in the Republican Party and is yeah. a name that is sort of, you know, being thrown about in terms of a nominee, and he's, you know, he's engaging autocrat. in... Autocrat. and engaging in culture wars via College yeah. Board and African American Studies. So this, like, this lack of context, it, it galvanizes their base, and then right. they use it to literally gain power and influence and, you know potentially, you know, trump their way all the way to the White House. Exactly. We got to keep fighting the good fight and providing context and, and not forgetting history. Yeah. I guess that's the only way, that's the only thing we can do.
0: That was so fun. That was such a fun. Really fun. This episode of Inside the Hive was produced by Will Coley. Steve Valentino is our executive producer. We had engineering assistance from Jake Loomis. For more news from inside the Hive, be sure to sign up for our newsletter at vanityfair.com forward slash newsletter forward slash Hive. And let us know what you thought of this episode. Or if you have any comments or questions, please harass me on Twitter. It would not be harassment. It would be a delight. I have open DMs. I'm at Molly Jongfast. And I'm at Christress. Next week, join us again for Inside the Hive, where Wall Street, Washington, and Silicon Valley meet. Oh, do you do the softball league? I do the softball league. Invite me, because I'll come. You have to come, you have to come. I'm never going to invite you Oh my gosh,
1: I I will invite you. I'm Alex Schwartz.
0: I'm Nomi Fry.
1: I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious.